Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is a special bonus episode, The State of Indie Publishing with Z from Serenity Forge. I'm really excited. Uh, we actually didn't know if we were going to be recording any shows at PAX, but here we are at PAX West. We had this amazing opportunity pop up. And we're joined today by Z, who is the founder, executive director, CEO, all around brilliant person. Uh, he is uh, the head of Serenity Forge, which is a small publisher. Small, small spare, right? Yeah, it's mid-size? pretty, pretty small. No, definitely not mid-size. Okay. That sounds way too big. Okay. <laughs> sounds way too big. Um, I'm sorry, we're not that large, yeah. but that's yet. Yeah, yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. Uh, Z is absolutely wonderful, and you and Amanda have known each other for long a long time. Now. Uh, and we met, I think it was for the first time at Dice this yeah, year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah Z and, and I, we we met, yeah, when you were, you were just saying, like, you were your senior was, year of college. It was about PAX, 10 years ago. PAX, yeah, one of the PAX. I, I think it was yeah. here yeah, at PAX yeah, West because, so. oh my gosh, and that was, I think that was the beginning of my, was that the beginning of my media career? No, I'd already been in it for a little yeah, while at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. But, oh my goodness, how far we all have I come. Know, right? Yeah, crazy. The evolution. And we're going to be talking a lot about Serenity Forge today. And the reason why we're having this conversation, uh, Amanda, in a, on a recent show, was talking about how independent publishers, small publishers, have been taking on a lot of the risk that has been averted or escaped or just generally shooed by large publishers who have shifted from balancing internal development with external publishing and have focused almost entirely. We're seeing the shift. Ubisoft has has fully shifted. EA oh, yeah. has almost fully shifted with the exception of the one or two originals games that they... And they only that do they, that every couple of years yeah, at this point. Yeah, it's really slowed down. Activision, I think the only game I can remember in recent memory that they've done was Sekiro, and that was a from software game. So, so I feel like, yeah, that's, that's definitely a way safer bet. Take-Two, with the exception of Private Division, all internal. Yeah. Yep. So we're looking at the largest publishers in the world who have, I mean, Tencent also does a lot of internal, they'd rather invest and therefore have a stake in the games that they're that they're involved in. So, so what we're seeing is all of these large publishers have really tried to mitigate risk by vertically integrating. Yes. And this was an opportunity that kind of popped up to talk to you about what you're seeing in the landscape and how things have shifted. I would say, what you saw during the pandemic and then how things have taken that sharp turn, if they have taken a sharp turn for you and what you think the outlook is going to be as we move forward. So let's start with like, how are things going in general? Like where, like how are you weathering the economic yep. conditions that we're faced with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that uh, I talk a lot about, which is um, it's, it's, Sometimes it makes me feel bad to say this, but the pandemic actually worked really well for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I feel like it also worked well with oh, the entire industry yeah, in, in, the, in the beginning. Um, but then, you know, obviously you kind of see the dark downturn as time went on. However, I feel like our team just kind of kept on going. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe a part of it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, uh, smaller studios kind of feel the, the wake uh, a little bit later uh, than the yeah. bigger ones. 
Um, and maybe a part of it has to do with the fact that our focus uh, is just a little bit different, you know, as a company, because, uh, you know, as Learning Forge, we have more narrative driven, more emotionally impactful games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these things are, you know, honestly, more of a competitor to literature or movies as opposed exactly. to you know, uh, other video games. Um, so, uh, so as a result, uh, a lot of our products ends up being fairly evergreen, and we're still seeing really long-tail sales from you know, previous years. Uh, so, so that kind of carries us a, a little bit better. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, looking at our uh, just you know year to year. Uh, we're still on a really strong trajectory, and we're you know seeing some record uh, you know revenues this year, uh, and are projected to you know see even better next year. So that's really fingers crossed. Obviously, you know no mm-hmm. one can see the future, but you know at this current point, that's where we're at. That's fantastic. So because you are so laser focused on those narrative driven experiences and on those games that are going to stand the test of time, people are still talking about Doki Doki all these years later. Goodness knows I still think about it. Still haunts my nightmares. (laughs) Monica. Yeah. Forever. Um, what kinds of what kinds of things are you seeing across the board when it comes to indie publishing in general? Like with your peers, what kinds of things are you seeing from them, and what kinds of conversations are you having about the games out there? And along those lines, feel free to loop in anything you're hearing from developers you talk to. Yeah, I know you talk to a lot of developers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, for smaller companies, one of the things that you always see, and this is something that happened for decades. Uh, is the fact that technology is something that people chase after, whether Heck it's, yeah. you know, free-to-play and, uh, you know, the VR, AR craze and then oh the, the crypto craze with yeah. NFTs and blockchain oh. tech. Oh, man. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then nowadays is, you know, you're jumping to AI, right? Yeah. Uh, so from a, um, you know, from a company that has more of a, you know, narrative, meaningful stuff, uh, a lot of times we kind of just kind of stand on the side and look at all these people come and go, rise and fall. Um, and uh, that's kind of what we're seeing, you know, with the with the recent, uh, you know, uh, AI kind of conversations as well. Uh, a lot of com- companies would go into a pitch saying, hey, we're an AI thing, we're an NFT thing. And then that's basically their whole business model, mm-hmm. their, that, their whole, you know, kind of uh, endeavor. Uh, yeah, so... VC trend speak. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I feel like we're finally, um, oh, sorry about that. Uh, we're finally getting to a point where uh, we're getting smarter about this where you know like stuff like ai it's like we've been actually using this stuff of course ages, we have right it's just that now it's a little bit more cool and uh people are uh you know investing into it and there's more money uh, more money in it. so uh people are using that as a buzzword and it kind of turned into something new um but as then, opposed to what we've been seeing from mis- machine learning exactly, machine from learning. actual yep. ai that is helping tool development production pipelines making things efficient and easier to create mm-hmm. as opposed to doing the creation which is the nonsense we're seeing right now yeah, i yeah, think exactly. drawing that line between generative ai and processing which isn't even ai i mean it's machine learning based it's algorithm based it's I think slapping the AI label on it has been actually really detrimental to the conversation because I think people attribute a sense of intelligence to these tools that doesn't exist. Exactly. It doesn't work without people at all. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I look at AI the same way I look at the virtual boys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right like you know how how i mean was that cool it was, was kind of cool, cool yeah right it was pretty cool Chat the power glove cool, right? very cool yeah not not gonna stand the test of time right, exactly you and know then when i'm pitched a game where you know the, the 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 founder would tell me oh this is a game that's entirely made by ai you know the the art is generated by ai the genre is generated by ai and just the code is ai i'm like well then who's made the game yeah well, yeah who made it yeah more importantly is it even good yeah. is it actually fun is it gonna be better than god of war 
Uh, you know, hard to say. Can can this game stand up not just to other indies, mm-hmm. but to double A, yeah. to triple A? Because yeah. we've seen yeah. we've seen games that are very independent that have stood the test of time. Like, yeah. I mean, if we, again, Doki Doki Literature Club obviously has stood the test of time and Stardew Valley and a lot mm-hmm. of these yeah. other very, very small, like micro studios yeah. standing the test of time because they're not trend chasing. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like because of the Web3 NFT craze that kind of came and went so quickly. It was so, so late, fast. It was so fast. Mm-hmm. People are, you know, publishers especially are still getting this kind of form of whiplash. Yeah. Uh, where now everyone is a little bit more cautious. So so to kind of go back to the original question, I feel like uh, that's really what I'm seeing. I feel like uh, publishers, investors are a little bit more cautious about the technology craze, about these buzzwords. And for the first time in the past 10 years, I feel like you can't just slap the most recent buzzword on a thing and get funded yeah. uh, anymore. Well, and when we were press, like one of the things, and back in the day it was Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. I mean, that's when I started was Kickstarter. I was about to say, I'm like, that was 10 years ago, yeah. And then, and then you know, blockchain became the thing. And even before the whole Web3 craze, blockchain just being, and if you're hearing a noise in the background, we're, we're in the hall at PAX because the media room is right underneath the main theater. The main theater, so it's not actually a quiet space. That'll get fixed for next year. It's the first year in the new <laughs> Summit building. Just yeah. consider it flavor. It's flavor. Yeah. It's anime. Yeah. We're doing this at a show. Down to earth. Down to earth. That's right. <laughs> There'll be very little editing here, folks. We're yeah. just gonna we're just gonna do it. We're just gonna do it. And one of the things that's really interesting is you see this trend whenever you have that VC jargon speak that people think like, oh, we have to lead with this thing in our press release because this is what our investors are interested in, something that that's how they have to lead their press release. And then, of course, the press will see Kickstarter in the headline or mm-hmm. blockchain in the headline or NFT. Oh, the amount of times that I just trashed emails that said blockchain technology yeah. in them, even if the even if the game looked interesting, leading with technological trends is does not a good game yeah. make. Exactly, it's, exactly. And then the... The kind of the philosophy that I always have um, with the work that we do in, in the company is that uh, technology should never be a goal. Uh, exactly. Technology ultimately is always going to be a tool for you mm-hmm. to use to achieve your goals. Uh, so uh, much like money, but I'll get into that maybe some other time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but ultimately, you know, we look at things uh, in our day-to-day life. You know, we see things like VRAR. Is that going to help us achieve our goals of telling meaningful, deep narratives? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Could be. It depends the on the time, story. At the same time, it's very gatekeepy. You know, you're going to have to have a, a lot of money. You're going to have to have a space uh, that you can, you know, use room-scale VR. It's mm-hmm. not very accessible uh, for people around the world, especially Agreed. people who might need our narratives. So maybe VRAR. AR aren't the the like the top platform that we're gonna have to work with, uh, and and then you know the same goes for you know crypto. The same goes for AI. We look at each of these pieces of technology and see how they can contribute to what we're actually trying to do. Uh, how does this help fit, the player? Exactly. Yeah, and uh, if it's not a good fit, then we're not gonna engage with it too. Because you know why 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 bother with a piece of technology that's not gonna help uh, you to uh, you know do your thing. It's not a safe bet. Yeah. And I think that the interesting thing that I want to focus in on what you just said was that, and, and this is something you have always said when we talked to you about Serenity Forge, is you know who you are. And that helps drive some of your decision making. And you mentioned some of this also with the trend chasing that we see kind of industry wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the way public companies need to talk to their investors about trends mm-hmm. where they have to hedge their bets. It's like, well, we're not writing it off yet, or we're exploring it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. and of course that becomes the headline in the mainstream mm-hmm. enthusiast media where it's like, oh gosh, EA is going to go do blockchain mm-hmm. or Activision is going to go do Web3 or 
you know, but it's really it's really about appeasing investors at that mm -hmm. point. Yep. But I think what's really interesting here is that take the the takeaway is that if you know who you are, if you know what your mission is, if you know what your portfolio is going to look like, I feel like there's a safety in that because you're not going to get sucked into that. Right. Yeah. And you're always going to be, you're developing a brand at the same time. Yeah. And how do you go about communicating that brand more widely to players? Like obviously through, through the games themselves and people can piece that together, but is, is that part of your communication strategy? Is that part of um, how you, how you exist in the market or is that something that you just let happen organically? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a combination, right? Uh, I, I feel like when it comes to stuff like branding and marketing, and there's never really one like, oh, we do this, and that's how we do branding. Right? <laughs> there's never one answer to, to anything. Um, but for our company, I think, as you mentioned, Mike, it, it obviously starts with the products uh, that we that we ship. Um, I think, uh, you know, walk to walk to talk, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to be doing something, you actually go do it, invest uh, the money into meaningful games, uh, much like how Sony, you know, would put a lot of their money into diversity and, uh, and products that actually, uh, you know, promote LGBTQ, people of color, et cetera. Uh, so you really, you really, you know, put your money where your mouth is, essentially. So that's number one. Uh, and then number two, there's also, you know, a uh, kind of day-to-day uh, -day elements to this. Like, for example, um, uh, for Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, we would, uh, you know, run large fundraisers uh, during the month of May, uh, you know, for, for the Doki Doki fans. And, you know, I think last year we generated somewhere around $20,000 and, uh, you know, donated the money to take this, uh, you know, oh, our partners. Um, so these are things that I feel like in addition to the products that you make as a creator, you also kind of, you know, go above and beyond and, 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 and do things in a more literal way to kind of contribute to our society. Uh, and then lastly, really, it's it's kind of this idea of almost mass distribution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so in uh, again, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, our games are very narratively dense and they're indie and they're very um, different, right? And yeah. They tell, tell kind of weird stories. Um, but a lot of times, I, I feel like developers and publishers kind of build their own niche. And then they have this kind of group of fans that would just go buy whatever they do and they feel really comfortable about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how you make a real difference because you're kind of just preaching to the choir. You're maybe creating sustainable business, which is great. And you're kind of creating products people want, which is great. And you're but, getting developers paid, yeah, which is great. Which is great. Um, but we can do more. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, like, for example, we do mass physical distribution around the world. We sell to, you know, 20, 30,000 different stores, retail stores around the world, uh, all of our games. And a lot of times we would sell it into Hong Kong, Taiwan, you know, these places that uh, uh, might have greater markets uh, mm -hmm. that kind of ship into China. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and as we all know, you can't really download eShop games nope. uh, you know in china you can't really download steam games very easily uh, so these physical games ends up going into these kind of questionable markets and having these narratives end up being spread into areas where otherwise you know it's not it's literally banned yeah uh, so and these are the kind of things that we do to kind of really go above beyond the two uh, it's it's you know i it's definitely brand building uh, but it's more about achieving our mission of mm -hmm. actually creating things that that kind of push the envelope a little bit more forward that makes sense so, you know, just to just to take a look at things from a different perspective, what are some of the what are some of the challenges that you're facing in these macroeconomic conditions? Even if things are looking pretty okay now, what are you worried about for the future? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. So it's I think self-doubt 
you know, I, I feel Fair like, enough. yeah, I feel like self-doubt is always something that you're going to have to have. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm generally very uh, doubtful of my own thoughts. Uh, so a lot of times when people are coming in and saying, oh, right now the equity market is hot. You got to go sell your company. Everyone's buying, wanting to make an introduction. Um, and I feel like, oh, you know, I, I get worked up. It's like, oh, am I, am I missing the boat if I don't, don't do this? Mm. Um, but then at the same time, you look at history. It's like, well, you know, this kind of stuff happens every 10 years. And, and you know, it'll come back and the market's going to whatever. And then, you know, maybe everything has already happened and it will happen again. Exactly. Exactly. So so I feel like, uh, you know, no one sees the future. So sometimes being stressed about it and kind of overreacting is actually uh, kind of the mind killer, right? To to some degree, mm-hmm. is kind of the thing that that's a good soundbite. Progress, yeah. So uh, the way that I see a lot of things, uh, and I I, I kind of I mean this works for us, but maybe not for everybody. But this works for us. Um, a lot of times, it's actually better to just you know take a moment, take a step back, relax, and let the kind of world unfold a little bit by by themselves. Keep on doing your own thing, and uh, and just you know hibernate, chill. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just keep on trucking forward. Stay in your own lane. Exactly. I feel like slow and steady really, really wins the race. And, you know, as Serenity Forge, we always uh, grow very steadily, very slowly. uh, And we never aim to, you know, get rich quick or anything like that. Um, To be honest, if we sold Serenity Forge, I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, I'd probably (laughs) just make a second one. (laughs) Uh, Speaking like an entrepreneur. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just, you know, just take a step back, you know, and uh and reassess and be okay with uh you know where we're at are you seeing any potential changes feeling them now or seeing in the future any potential changes in your revenue streams and the reason i I bring that up is obviously there's been a lot of talk about how platform funding has Mm -hmm. is starting to change excellent i'm really glad you're bringing this up yeah it's you know we've we've heard that there's portfolio changes that are happening Mm -hmm. at both sony and microsoft Mm -hmm. we've heard that the amounts of funding and the purpose of funding is changing. Are you seeing any of that? Because Genesis Noir is one of your mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. That was a Game Pass game. Mm-hmm. That's how I first encountered it. Yep. Um, and so obviously you're familiar with how that process works in terms of getting a Game Pass deal. Are you seeing anything different in the space right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this craze kind of got started a couple years ago where um, people realized that you can sign big checks with big names right uh-huh. uh, apple comes in with apple arcade mm-hmm. suddenly everyone 500 well, million dollars that they were looking yeah, to invest exactly. in indies yeah exactly and we were definitely a part of that mm-hmm. um and then xbox comes in and you have stadia you have you know all these different players kind of coming in here to, to sign these checks um but also at the same time i feel like just at the time when we were looking at it we quickly realized, and this was kind of early days, right? I, mm-hmm. I won't kind of mention which company specifically, but we kind of quickly realized that this is changing the landscape of how games are distributed. Yeah. And if we fully buy into this system, then and completely put our company's livelihood on these systems, then as soon as the systems change, we no longer have a company. Yeah. So I realized very quickly that we had to diversify. So we work with a lot of them, but we also still sell games on Steam and we still sell games on physical mm-hmm. and we still use these very traditional methods uh, of, of distributing media because the fans are still there. You know, not yeah. everyone in the world is using Game Pass. Not everyone in the world is using mm-hmm. Apple Arcade. Um, so to us, they were more supplements to what we're doing as opposed additional to additional vehicles. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's always great, like we mentioned, to bring more money to the developers. There's nothing, of course. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but also at the same time, you can't just uproot your entire business that you've known, you've known, uh, and then kind of put it on a boat uh, that someone else is driving. And mm-hmm. as soon as you know that that person doesn't want to drive the boat yep. anymore, you kind of go with it. I feel like, um, you know, at one point there was that first round of cuts for App Arcade mm-hmm. that took place. Yeah. And uh, and we were very close on the chopping block, but thankfully we kind of made it over. Um, but I remember a lot of friends, a lot of studios who overnight, you know, dozens yep. and dozens of people. Um, no longer it was scary. Yeah, yeah so. it was really scary. And just in general, being an indie developer right now is very scary yeah. Yeah. because there are so few indie publishers out there that are accepting outside pitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, kind of along those lines, are you seeing an increased volume in pitches? from developers um or is it just i'm trying to think there's always a lot um but i think if anything we're probably seeing higher and higher quality pitches and that's really yeah i think that's quite interesting i think the the reason i mean i don't think that's anything that we've done uh, to make it special but the reason is probably really just uh game development is uh, has lower and lower barriers of entry uh, so people in a basement can be making way better looking games. If you look at Unreal 5, for example, oh, you know, these games look really good. So the quality keeps on going up. Um, I think it's also just uh, the um, the market is a little bit more open now. You know, it there's is. so many different choices for you to work on games. Mm-hmm. Uh, people no longer have a stigma based on, oh, it's a console, it's a PC, it's mobile, or whatever, it's a VR, or whatever. We're more open-minded. We understand the tech. We're not doing a console war anymore. You yeah, mean it's yeah. not 1995? Maybe. Maybe. Still <laughs> I don't know. Wage that war. Yeah. But we will not let them. Yeah. We will not let them. Do you, on those same... Like in that same vein, do you think that potentially part of the reason why you're seeing these higher quality pitches is because there are better resources out there in order to build pitches? Oh yeah, absolutely. I also feel like the just the industry is becoming more and more mature. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's the industry's actually not been along for very long. If you're talking about indies, it's been around for even shorter. Yeah, you know, exactly. So uh, I think there are better tools, better communities. Uh, better, uh, you know, uh, just education in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all of that definitely uh, drive a contributing factor. And maturing advice, because from our perspective, we have been encouraging, especially since things, we started to sniff that things were going to start to change. We've been telling people, do not, like in the pandemic, you could go and pitch early and you might get a deal because there was so much money flowing in that there was a hard, there was an appetite for content yes. on the other side. But as soon as things started to change, one of the things- we When the market to, began to cool. Yeah. What we said was, you, if you go out with an early pitch, you're going to potentially poison the well. And if people don't like what they see, they might not give you that next shot when your game is actually ready to show. So we've been advising people, like, you might want to be closer to Vertical Slice than Prototype yeah. when you start to go out to publishers because you might only get one crack at the can. Yeah. Which yeah. is unfortunate because there are so many developers out there that don't have the money, yeah. the resources, yeah. the time. And, and we're finding that in the communities you would expect that to be the case in underserved communities in Africa, Mina in general, um, in South America, uh, in parts of Asia where where there isn't that that level of resourcing. Um, it's not so much in the West. No. Like I would say in North America, in Western Europe, like, yeah, the money's probably going to be there one way because or the other. Because there are grants and mm-hmm. you can apply for a number of different things and find resources and there's way to pool resources. So it's... um. But it's definitely a very scary time out there for indie developers. One of the things that I always love to ask 
basically anybody that has anything to do with development or with publishing is advice. Yes. If you were taking, if you, if you had a room full of students in front of you and they were all very excited to pitch their game to you, what would you want to see from them? Um, I, this is the common thing that I say, uh, and I feel like it's not something that's too special and that's just go make games. Uh, I, I feel like, I feel like it's okay to, to do something and fail. I think it's okay to do something that's that huge. personal and not made for anyone else. Right. I, I think it's totally fine to just go out there and make things, build up your portfolio, build up your experience. Um, I made my first game by, uh, cause I came from a low income household and uh, my, my, my father's blind. My mom doesn't speak English, first generation immigrant. Um, so when I was going through college, you know, it was very stressful because I had to, you know, pay for my own college. I had to support the family. I did too. You know, everything. Yeah. I got you. And, uh, and when I was in college, I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn how to do games. So I can't really pay for the classes. So I would go look up the student portal and see when the C++ classes were. Mm -hmm. And I would just sneak in and sit in the back and take notes and start learning. I pick up a textbook uh, from the library to learn OpenGL, write my own graphics yeah. libraries. I did a lot and of I did a lot of that stuff in university exactly. in university yeah. too. Yeah, and I just made a bunch of games uh, by myself for fun, release them on Game Jolt and Itch uh, for free, mm -hmm. and get people to to play them. Right, uh, and that was able to teach me enough that uh, you know this how you start with ideas, how you write a game, how you do art, how you do music, how you do programming. What uh, do the pipelines the way, exactly, look like? How do you release a game? How do you market it? All of that, uh, you know, I learned within a few months. Uh, and I feel like once you have go gone through that a couple of times, it's so much easier for you to uh, you know, create more successful products. It's so much easier for you to pitch your game because you know what a publisher might be looking for. You know what they're at least involved in in the process, and you you might even know how to take pitches. You know, when when that when that happens too. So, um, so I feel like you know, ultimately, just go out there and make things. Um, and uh, another here's another fun uh, fun example. Um, when I uh, proposed uh, to to my wife, uh, who is as a gamer, uh, I uh, I made a video game. Uh, and it was a non-fictional walking sim kind of a game where uh, it was just a scene after scene of all the initial moments uh, that we shared together. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Uh, yeah, and then I made a little RG in the game where she, like, at one point, I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to go, I need to go buy a ring. It's like I made a decision. It's like, wait a minute, I'm playing, I'm because she was playing as me in the game. Uh, so she's like, you know, going through, like, wait, I'm hiding the ring? Is that is the ring literally here? So she would go off and try to go find the ring. Oh so you know, it's a, lot of that, it's a lot of fun, right? And again, this is what I mean about making games not not just for uh, commercial sales. It's not just for to, to get rich quick because games are very personal. They're very they meaningful. Are. And uh, and once you have gone through these experiences, then you know what people are generally looking for. I I think just a quick corollary to that, and, and that's a great place for us to to wrap this up. It's just that if you are pitching games mm -hmm. and you have done this, if you have made games, you put them on itch for free, you put them on Steam for free. Or it means you ship. It means you yep. ship. Yep. And that's the important thing. We've how many how many different teams have we said? To, I like, have. I've lost count. I've lost put count. those games in your deck because yep. you know, you have shipped. And you, you it's either you've process. shipped yourself or you've shipped with this team that you don't consider mm -hmm. a real business yet because mm -hmm. you haven't made any money. Yep. Doesn't matter. You yep. shipped a game. Yep. Put yep. it in your deck. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this has been great. Like, I always love talking with you. Thank you so much, Z, for making the time at PAX. And thanks for everybody, you know, everybody listening, because 
Uh, we're actually at PAX, and you can hear PAX going on in the background. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's fresh. It's raw. It's yeah. it's beautiful. Um, before we wrap up, Z, where can people find you and Serenity Forge online? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the easiest way to find Serenity Forge is the website, serenityforge.com. Uh, you can also find us across social media, uh, usually at Serenity Forge, um, or like maybe there's an underscore between somewhere like that. <laughs> you'll find it. Uh, and then for me, uh, generally, uh, Twitter X, whatever it's called <laughs> now, is uh, kind of where I'm on, uh, as well as Blue Sky. Yeah, um, not so much Threads uh, right now, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's weird, right? It's now. weird. But, uh, We're in this cool zone of social media where no one really knows where they should be now. Time. I, I got um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, at Jinghua Yang, so my full name, and uh, why don't you just Google me? Pretty easy to find. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did recording it at PAX West. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Blue Sky. We are on Blue Sky. Yeah. I mean, we're technically also kind of maybe a little bit on Twitter. X? What the heck no, are we? I, I refuse. It's Twitter. I, I refuse. We are on Twitter, and I do still share the show there uh, when we publish. So that's Virtual EconCast. No sense in giving you our personal Twitter accounts. We're not really posting there anymore. Uh, but yeah, so we're on Blue Sky. You can follow the show at virtualeconomy.bsky.social. And you can follow me at footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H, dot bsky.social. I really hate that I have to spell out my handle now because it's no longer... Yeah, I'm not doing it the way that you do it, though. So anyway, I am ritualmagic.bsky.social. I still need to verify our, our domains. So that's ritual magic with a W in front. Like I'm a writer, shockingly. So um, we also post the show on LinkedIn on the F squared account. And I mean, you're here, so you're listening to the show. So you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including the big ones like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Pocket Cast. I always forget one. Pocket Sand! It's a Pocket Sand. Every time he gets me with the Pocket Sand. So please subscribe. And, you know, if possible on your platform of choice, we'd love it if you would review the show. Yeah. And of course, we love listener questions. So please do DM us. Uh, well, you can DM the show. I yeah, guess. DM and the we'll, show. You can get them. I'll see them. Uh, or you can send us an email at podcast at fsquared.biz. Or the best way to get in touch with us is in our Discord community. We love our Discord community. Uh, it's hopping. It is hopping. I'm so excited. Like, we have such wonderful people in there. And the conversations that we have are absolutely wonderful. And even when we're not available, when things like the Nintendo Direct happen or State of Play, you can always count on members of our community including uh, Ryan and Greg and Michael Britton and Andy and Andy, like just that we have a video game singularity channel in the discord. And <laughs> that has existed for what? It's, it's, it's years months? now. It's years now. It's ridiculous. So you can always count if you always, if you, because it used to be E3 chemtrails. Oh yeah. We are so broken sometimes, but if you ever wanted to watch, with a group of people who are just wholesome and wonderful, you can always come and join the and Discord silly. community. Uh, if you want to join the Discord community, you can actually DM me on Discord. I'll give I'm just at Footer on Discord, so you can hit me up and I'll give you an invite to the Discord. And with that, thank you very much for joining us for this very special episode. Remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We will see you soon. 